Hello again, welcome to another episode of the Iranian Market Minute. Today is Monday, May 23rd, and this is episode number 127. My name is Justin Hewn. I am your host. I'm the founder and publisher of the Uranium Insider Pro newsletter, the only investing newsletter that focuses solely on uranium and publishes on a regular monthly basis. As always, nothing that you see or hear in this podcast is intended to be investing advice. I'm not your financial advisor. This is not financial advice. Please always do your own due diligence when it comes to investing. Always take responsibility for your own choices. All right. Uh, nice to start out another week. I hope you all had a great weekend. I wanted to first of all say thank you to all of the supporting members who were able to join us in our webinar on Friday. Um, it was quite the deep dive. We did an extended Q&A session and had um, some great information come from uh, our special guest that we had. Um, on, on board with us during that webinar. So if you are a member and you weren't able to attend, the replay of that webinar is up on our website right at the top as soon as you log into the members area. And I would encourage you to give that a watch or a listen. Um, you can stream it from the website and it's quite the deep dive into the sector. We go over all of the bullish uh, fundamental elements, all the elements really bullish or bearish, but um, at the moment that is predominantly bullish. Um, the fundamental backdrop for this sector, of course, we talked about the markets in general, uh, the risk off situation that we've been um, held captive to over the past six weeks or so, and what we expect going forward. So uh, again, I do appreciate all of the support, anybody that does support us, and hopefully you were able to join us. So thank you again. All right, um, I'm going to talk about some interesting developments in the mailbag section about uh, Kazadaprom and about uh, shipping issues, delivery issues that we're seeing, not just from them, but uh, generally speaking, and how that all sort of uh, correlates to what I'm seeing as a serious comply, uh, supply concern going forward for the Iranian market that should have utilities worried. And uh, the language coming out of um, the nuclear fuel consultants that are saying something similar. So I'm going to talk about that in the mailbag section. We will go over the charts, but before that, let's jump into the daily scoreboard here. Spot price of uranium did fall a bit on Friday. However, it was unchanged today, 46.25 a pound mid-market, continuing to slowly slip in a very, um, a very quiet spot market with spot out of the market largely for the past six to eight weeks here. They have purchased a little bit of uranium here and there, but for the most part, they have been out of the market. Now today, uh, with the Canadian markets closed, the, um, the, the U.S. side on SRUUF, the U.S. listing for the Sprott Physical Uranium Trust, did trade up a bit as we did see the spot price of uranium fall a bit on Friday. So we're actually very, very close to NAV again. Now, big question, once we get within range of NAV, are we going to see money come in and push that back up to that premium so they can raise cash? That is yet to be seen. Um, generally speaking, I've been expecting that uh, funds flowing into SPUT would not be that great until we have a general risk on environment across markets, which I don't believe we are there yet. In fact, I know we're not there yet. Looking at volumes across most markets that were open today, volumes were light. Uh, futures are looking down at the moment, due, uh, probably due to Snapchat's earnings that came in um, or, or Snap, Snapchat's messaging that came in that they uh, were likely to miss expectations. So we'll see how the market's going forward. Still a very, very highly volatile time across markets. But there is some interesting things happening. One of those, uh, one of those elements is that BlackRock last week, BlackRock, basically the largest um, investment firm on the planet, announced that they would be cycling out uh, $10 billion out of the uh, growth tech environment and into the energy environment. 
Uh, we've recently seen Warren Buffett going long Occidental uh, Petroleum, and there is a uh, seemingly continuation of this move of money out of the broad market and into energy. Now, uh, a couple of other interesting points along those lines. Sorry for the sidebar while I'm going through the, uh, the, uh, uh, the daily scoreboard here, but I think that it's important to mention that we saw uh, last month, we saw Merrill Lynch come out with their readjusted uh, definitions of FANG. And I apologize off the top of my head, I don't have this in front of me. I don't recall what the other letters were, but N was standing for nuclear. We're seeing mainstream financial institutions. We are seeing mainstream um, uh, classical investors, uh, hedge fund managers, former hedge fund managers, talking heads within the space, all sort of lean into this newly developing um, advanced nuclear and recognition of nuclear as one of, if not the primary solutions for a clean energy future. And that is all happening right now. That is all underpinning uh, the volatile markets that we are um, held to at the moment. So it's a very, very exciting time, honestly, across the space. If you had asked me a couple of years ago, could I have seen these types of developments come forward? I mean, not only just uh, the Sprott taking over UPC, but um, fundamentally speaking, looking at sentiment, looking at Japan, uh, looking at the public in Germany, public being majority in support of nuclear going forward, seeing so many nations shift in sentiment towards embracing nuclear, is uh, phenomenal. It's absolutely phenomenal. So that has me super excited right now. And honestly, this volatile market, um, I, I kind of dig it. Okay, so going back to the daily scoreboard, SPUT, of course, uh, did not raise any new money on Friday, uh, nor did they buy any additional pounds. They closed, like I said, at a, at a very slight minus 1.75% discount on Friday. And I believe they are very, very close to being at parity with NAV um, currently. And we'll see how the markets trade tomorrow with the Canadian market opening back up. Uh, there, were, there was a market holiday in Canada. Uh, the trust sits on only 23.2 million. Um, as I've been saying, they're unlikely to expend much of that, if any at all, towards buying uranium. Uh, URA on Friday reported 320,000 in share redemptions. URNM reported no changes in outstanding shares. That was 4.6 million in mandated selling. Uh, like I say, uh, like I've said many times before, there's a slight delay, two or three days for URA one to two days for URNM. It's been difficult to tell exactly how long that delay is for these two vehicles. But either way, that selling already happened. And uh, we saw the market trade up today pretty consistently, a nice uh, resumption of an outperformance, even though low volumes across the board. Uh, we've seen decreasing volumes on this uptrend, which always has me a bit worried. But why don't we go ahead and jump in uh, and take a look at the charts here. Like I said, URA trading up today trading up about two, uh, just under 3% on the day. Volumes declining on this last leg up since we bottomed out um, at the end of the prior week. So really want to see renewed volume come in before getting excited about a renewed uptrend here. This very well could be uh, a short-term um, counter-trend rally here within what could be a uh, short-term to mid-term longer bear market across equities. Now, as I said, I do. we are going to note here the outperformance of the uranium miners relative to the S&P. Um, so here we have, again, URNM outperforming the S&P today, even though the S&P was also, again, up. So what we saw uh, during various days last week was the S&P down. And anytime the S&P has been down without hitting an air pocket, we do tend to do okay in the uranium space. And this trend line still holds as far as uranium 
uh, Uranium's performance relative to the broad markets, this trend uh, is maintained here. And uh, like I said, we've been in risk off environments. And when we hit these sharp air pockets that are liquidity crises, we see everything get taken out and Uranium is no exception to that. But eventually money that pulls out of one asset class, especially in a high inflation environment is going to need to find a home. If you're sitting on cash, you're losing 8% a year. That's a lot. You lose, what is it, 60% of your buying power by holding that for 10 years, but those numbers are rough. But um, it's, it's unbelievable how quickly the buying power dissipates in this type of inflationary environment. So you're going to see that money seeking yield, and it will need to seek a new home coming out of, uh, excuse me, coming out of tech, coming out of growth, going into value. That trend is just beginning. It's, uh, that's been happening over the past, let's say, six months to a year, especially going into oil and gas. And uh, we believe that trend is going to continue. Cameco has, uh, has been a leader of the pack, and it closed very nicely today, up 2.8%, closing at the highs of the day. But again, if you want to note here, the declining volume on this recovery rally uh, has me not yet a believer in this run here. Sprott Physical Uranium Trust. Um, as I did not do a market minute on Friday, I might as well bring this chart up because it was it did not trade on the Canadian market today, but it did print a nice hammer on Friday as the spot price continues to trickle down. I would love to see this chart maintain and chop sideways and end up at a premium to nav and then see some renewed volume come in to that vehicle. Volume very, very low on the US side. And honestly, we often see that um, when the Canadian markets are closed, we're, we'll still see very low volume and volume uh, trending down also on this chart. So not a whole lot to be excited about um, in terms of the charts here, but either way, I like to see that outperformance of the broad markets continue. Okay, so Kazadamprom uh, released a very interesting news release today and it kind of had everybody scratching their heads and I thought I would just bring that up and kind of give a bit of an interpretation here without pontificating too deeply on geopolitics. So this news release was quite a confusing one. Um, and before I even mention what the news release did say, I just have to say that because Adam Prom has done, in my opinion, a fantastic job of communicating with the, with the uh, public equity markets. Since they floated 30% of the company, the previously 100% state-owned company, that was back in 2018, they went public, and now 30% public, 70% uh, privately owned by the state. Um, they have done a fantastic job. They have uh, been a very, very disciplined player in the space. They've been very disciplined with their production. They have not ramped production as uh, a lot of people expected them to as soon as we saw slightly higher prices. They are the value play in the space. They produce a dividend. They are um, unbelievably consistent in their production, and they have been for a very long time. I, I definitely want to applaud management for the job they are doing in attempting to um, uh, communicate with the West and communicate with the public markets generally. I think that they are in a very, very tricky position here, and I think this news release only adds to that um, to, to that that position that they're in, that complicated position that they're in. Okay, so what happened today? They released a news release that essentially said, you know what, I'm, I'm not even going to sum it up. I'm just going to read this first paragraph to you. And I can link to that in the, in the description below as well, if you'd like to read it yourself, because 
honestly, this is something that um, you'll probably gather more from the tea leaves, let's say, than from the direct communication from the company, which is why it was so strange. Okay, verbatim. On May 20th, 2022, a draft of an updated list of companies to be privatized under the government privatization plan was released, which now includes Kazatomprom's drilling subsidiary. Oh my gosh, I'm going to butcher this. Volkov Geologia, JSC. I apologize for that. The company's provider of security services, Corgan Security LLP, and Caps Uranium Mining Asset, JV Budinovsky. Um, so this is a joint venture. Um, they have a joint venture with a company that, uh, with a chemical company that I believe provides their sulfur sulfuric acid. Uh, uh, this is a very, very large mine. This is going to be a long life mine, a very, very important uranium mine for Kazatomprom. So what they're saying is uh, the government of Kazakhstan released this privatization plan that included these three companies, uh, their drilling subsidiary, uh, their security services company, and this particular asset, which is, is, a, is, is its own LLC that is 51% owned by Kazanoprom. Uh, the news release continues. The information is incorrect and not aligned with the company's established disclosure protocols and governance process. The company's management team and board of directors have initiated discussions with the appropriate state authorities to retract the incorrect privatization list and address the company's serious concerns regarding the unacceptable overstep into Kazatomprom's business as a publicly listed company. Okay, so this, this was quite the head scratcher. Essentially, what they're saying is that the government, the government of Kazakhstan put out this list. They listed three three companies that affect the company's production, essentially, as being on the list to be privatized. This obviously would be a concern. I don't really know why the government added these companies uh, to that privatization list. Um, I don't exactly know what Kazatomprom is saying here, but they're certainly trying to um, assuage investors' concerns about that list, as I'm sure it started to get around that uh, Kazatomprom's companies couple of their companies and one of their uh, primary mining up and coming assets is on this privatization list. So Kazakhstan is in a very interesting situation. Um, they, they clearly have been a major producer of uranium. They are still the main producer of uranium. They produce around 40% of the global um, uranium uh, Kazakhstan does because Adam Prom obviously has a number of JVs, so company-wide, they're, uh, I believe they're closer to about 25%. But 40% of the world's uranium production comes from Kazakhstan. They are the number one producer. They obviously share a very large border with Russia. They have political ties with Russia, but they have been trying to distance themselves from Russia politically since this war broke out. Now, if you do recall, in January of this year, prior to the war breaking out in February, you had unrest in Kazakhstan that, according to the mainstream media, had to do with drastically rising, uh, or excuse me, a price cap on uh, liquid gas was removed by the government, the prices went up drastically, and the people were rioting. I think that there was uh, much deeper implications about that period of unrest that I don't want to get into right now. But what did happen at the end of the day was the president of Kazakhstan made a phone call and Russian and Belarusian troops came in and uh, put an end to that in a matter of days. So the, you know, the optics of that were that they had citizen unrest in Kazakhstan and Russia came in and saved the day and got their back. Okay. 
that was uh, honestly just what four or five weeks uh, before war broke out in Ukraine before Russia invaded Ukraine. So Kazakhstan sits in this very unique position and they have deep political ties, obviously to Russia. Um, so, but they are, have been trying to distance themselves. All of this is to say, what can we gather from this news release, gather from the situation that they're in currently? Will they continue to produce, uh, be the world's preeminent producer of uranium? Absolutely. There's no doubt about that. Will they continue to uh, try and distance themselves from Russia? Most likely. What is the motivation behind the government um, starting to potentially seize assets, privatize assets? I don't know. I don't want to speculate on that. Are they going to try to protect those assets from Russia, considering that Kazatomprom as a company still does have multiple joint ventures with Uranium One? I don't know. Um, in addition to, uh, to that aspect of the news release, they did talk about their business dealings with Russia's Rosatom, while at the same time going into lengths to say that they are strenuously working um, to run afoul of any of the sanctions being put on Russia. Okay, so they don't want to be associated with the sanctions or the uh, presumed sanctions that would be placed on Russia by the EU, by the US. They don't want to be involved in that at all. So they're doing what they can to walk the line in between these two worlds that seem to be continuing to separate from each other. This is all, this is all to say that this is part of a greater um, assumption that we should be making as investors and that certainly are being made, is being made by nuclear utilities in the West. And that is that there is a lot of hair on this producer currently, unfortunately. Um, there is concern about shipping. They have established a new shipping route that does go straight west uh, across the Caspian into the Black Sea, eventually to the Mediterranean and into the EU, and from there out to wherever in the world. They have made shipments in the past. In 2018, they made a shipment on this route to Urano. Um, they are considering shipments going east through China. And of course, we have mentioned in the past that they can deliver uranium um, using swaps. Swaps is essentially they could deliver through their traditional routes to a different entity that may not be as sensitive. That would probably be China. If they can deliver through the port of St. Petersburg to one of the um, uh, conversion facilities where China holds uranium, China can then swap that uranium with the uh, 2B buyer of the Kazakhstan uranium. It's very complex. Um, China certainly probably would be willing to do that. But this is all to say there are complications here to a producer that has been very, very reliable and probably will continue to be reliable in terms of their production. But there is enough complication here that we heard. What did we hear? Uh, Tim Gitzel on their conference call, their last Cameco's last, last conference call. Their latest delivery of uranium coming from their Inkai JV is going to stay in Kazakhstan, at least for the time being. So that tells you, uh, you know, if you have to read between the lines here, what does that tell you? There's major complications with shipping. We are hearing continuing about continuing issues with shipping globally coming from uh, Russia or going through Russia. This is not, uh, this is not reversing course, at least not in the short term. And so what is going to be the result of this? And this is actually the expected result that's being stated by nuclear fuel consultants, such as Trade Tech and UXC. They are expecting term contracting to potentially accelerate because of this development. They are expecting nuclear utilities to uh, restock rather than destock inventories because these supply chains 
are basically screwed. Supply chains are screwed across the board. It's, it's affecting so many different industries. It's affecting food production. It's affecting baby formula. Uh, it, it's affecting um, fertilizers. It's affecting raw materials for essentially everything. And nuclear is no exception. Then you add to that the fact that shipping uh, fissile material is complicated and not everybody can do it. It's not an easy thing to ship. It's not like shipping uh, you know, just, just plastic parts or, or steel parts across the globe. This is an actual radioactive element. So basically what uh, the nuclear fuel consultants are saying and what I'm saying here is that the utilities should be and are concerned about supply. And the last time we had real concern about supply, we know what happened. What happened? We went into a major contracting cycle. This is 2004, 2005. And the, the perception of supply um, interruptions caused a huge move in the price of uranium, especially when you started to see actual interruptions such as floods at both MacArthur River and Cigar Lake over the period of a number of years. Now we are having actual supply interruptions and it's not necessarily interruptions to the pounds coming out of the ground, but interruptions in the delivery of those pounds. Either way, the process is being interrupted here. And going forward, this is, we are entering a new era um, globally. We are entering a new era of energy crises, um, lack of energy, insufficient energy. And the utilities now faced with this new geopolitical um, realignment that we're seeing are going to want to cover their bases. They're going to want to restock inventories. They're going to want to have sufficient fuel on hand to weather what looks to be a very volatile decade coming forward. I don't think this volatility is about to shift. I really don't. I wish that I could say that I do, but I don't. Um, generally speaking, I'm an optimist. I think once we get through these global, uh, gosh, how do I say this in a sensitive manner? Um, once we come out on the other side of what we have been faced with over the past couple of years, what we're like to face going forward, uh, as people in most countries, um, this has to do with um, tyrannical overstepping of, of power by governments, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not going to go down that road right now. I am an optimist, but going forward, volatility is going to be the name of the game, in my opinion, in markets and on the global stage. Now we are here, and I'm sorry for being on my soapbox here, but um, the nuclear utilities are going to make sure that they have what they need going forward. I believe that this will accelerate long-term contracting. I believe that, that the utilities will buy more than they need. This has been explicitly stated by the, by the nuclear fuel consultants. They expect nuclear, nuclear utilities who are uncovered to contract for more than they actually need. That is a restocking of inventories. That is what's coming down the pike, okay? So to wrap that all up, then you have to look at an investing backdrop. Where are we now? We are in the depths of a risk-off correction in the markets. Is it going to continue? Probably. For how long? I don't think we're, we're facing a, uh, I don't think we're facing a, a great financial uh, recession. Uh, I don't think we're facing uh, the GFC in 2027, 2028. I think this looks more like the 2000s where we saw a massive crash in the NASDAQ during a period of time where uh, metals uh, went on a tear. And I think that's coming. I think that we are on the precipice of a huge rotation of money out of growth and into value. And I think that that is just starting. We already see the evidence of that when I show you the chart. 
in particular of URNM relative to the S&P. We look at the weekly chart of that, that is a blip on the screen that has just started. And you contrast that with what we believe is coming for not only the growth of nuclear globally, but a very, very constrained and supply concerned market for uranium. All of these elements, in my opinion, are going to coalesce into a raging, raging bull market. And I think that is coming, and I think it's coming soon. I am not calling a bottom here. I think we see some more uh, risk off going forward. But when this does bottom, when the Fed pivots, when the dollar turns over, watch out. And you want to be positioned when that happens because it's going to move so quickly. It's going to rip your face off and you're going to have to chase it. And chasing isn't fun. So that is why, generally speaking, we tend to hold our positions through volatility, at least core positions. Um, all right. So that was quite a rambling episode. If you made it this far, congratulations. I just want to highlight that there is risk to supply right now. And this market has been ripe for disruption for a very, very long time. That disruption is here. All of the elements of the fuel cycle are moving up. We are seeing trades in the conversion market happen uh, in the 30s. Uh, they moved up into the high 20s in March, which was a 60% move in a single month. And it continues to move higher. Conversion and enrichment will be moving higher. We have month end numbers coming later at the end of next week. Look forward to talking about that. But all of that is to say, very exciting times here. I hope you all had a wonderful weekend. I will see you again uh, tomorrow. Cheers.